Our topic is unanswered prayer, and we're treating it with these words from the Apostle Paul. My guess is that, that if you think about it right now, that you have at least one and maybe more unanswered prayers in your arsenal of prayers that, that you're taking to God. And maybe, maybe you haven't prayed it recently because, because God hasn't given you an answer to it and it's kind of fallen off your prayer list. Or maybe it's very active and you're praying about it right now and you're frustrated, you're struggling, you're looking for an answer and an answer hasn't come. I want you to think of a prayer like that on your own, from your own prayers and just put it, in the, put it in the parking space just on the top of your head right now, top of mind, front of mind. Uh, and I'm going to refer to it later as we think about unanswered prayer and what that means. And it'll help as you uh, listen to these words of Scripture. Um, we're, we're being daring today in talking about unanswered prayer, and here's why. We don't like to talk about unanswered prayer. You know why we don't like to talk about it? Because unanswered prayer brings unanswered questions when it comes to my prayer life. Did I maybe ask for the wrong thing? Did I, am I using the right words? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm saying something wrong. Is, is God even listening? Unanswered prayers bring unanswered questions about prayer. Sometimes we just like to dismiss them and not think about it. In, this, in these verses from 2 Corinthians, um, we do have an answer. God gives us an, an answer to unanswered prayer. And we see it through the Apostle's, Paul, Apostle Paul's prayers and, and his life. And that answer is this. No news is good news. That's how we'll treat these verses today. Remember that when you go home and you'll have it mastered. No news is good news. The Apostle Paul was hard at work. He was God's man and missionary to uh, act as a pastor and to plant churches and congregations and to bring them God's word. Um, God acted in some very special ways in Paul's life and ministry. Um, God gave Paul some special revelations where he was able to, uh, in, a, in a vision, in a very visual, real, verbal kind of way, interact with God in a way that uh, others simply did not. After Paul was first converted from being a murderer of Christians to a missionary for Christians, Jesus took him out in the desert and personally met with him. The resurrected, glorified Jesus met with the Apostle Paul one-on-one -on -one to give him instructions about preaching the gospel to the people. Paul wrote books of the Bible. He was a super pastor, like any of us pastors would ever want to be. And because of that, Paul went under criticism by some people who said that his head was getting too big. He was getting too big for his britches, and some people accused him of having a, an ego that was too big and just being too proud, too conceited. And so he was responding to those charges in some of these verses, especially in 2 Corinthians in this letter to the Corinthians. And so Paul wanted to show them that uh, he wanted to do two things. He wanted to defend the validity of his ministry that it was given to him by God. But in that process, he also wanted to deflect the attention from himself. Because he didn't have an ego. He boasted in the Lord and boasted in the cross like we did earlier. And so he wanted to deflect the attention away from him and, and on to Jesus and the message about Jesus. So to do that, he shared these words. To do that, he showed himself to be vulnerable and to be weak and to be like any of the people that he was serving. 
And he became forthright and honest and transparent in telling them, you know, listen, I want to tell you something. Uh, I have this, this thorn in the flesh, he calls it. We don't know exactly what it is, but it's, it's some kind of weakness, even a disability that God gave to Paul, and that Paul even says, this is a messenger of Satan. The devil himself is trying to use this against me. Um, some say it was poor eyesight, or maybe Paul was even blind. Uh, these are all guesses. We don't know from the Bible what, exactly what the thorn in the flesh was. Some say it was an ulcer. Um, some say that it was, he was bald and short. I don't know how that's a thorn in the flesh. But, uh, you know, there's, there's different guesses as to what this thorn in the flesh was for Paul. But it caused him pain, and, and, it, and it hurt him. And now he's talking to God about it, like any of us Christians would talk to God about our own thorn in the flesh, something that causes us pain and uh, might be used by the devil to tempt us. But Paul knows that the thorn in the flesh was good. Or at least he discovers this. And that's what I want us to discover today. How a thorn in the flesh, something that causes you pain, something that's miserable, something that you wouldn't choose, but that God has laid on you. It might be a physical deformity. It might be a disease. It might be anything that you struggle with. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe you have a, a boss who is hard to get along with. Any of these can be thorns in the flesh for us. And they're good. Thorns in the flesh are good and godly for three reasons. And I want you to write these down. Number one, when you have a thorn in the flesh and you pray about it, even repeatedly about it, praying repeatedly about a thorn in the flesh brings clarity. It brings clarity. So write the word clarity down. It brings clarity. And here's how. When you're praying about a thorn in the flesh and it's an unanswered prayer and you need to pray about it again and that's still not answered and you need to pray about it again and again. This process of from, from your first to your second to your third to your 46th prayer about that thorn in the flesh, that process is something good that God wants as, as you gain clarity during that process. And I guarantee you, your 32nd prayer is going to be different than your fourth prayer about that thorn in the flesh. Why? Because in this time, you've, you've needed to think about it and you're, and you're bringing it to God and it's, it's refining your thought process about how is God responding and what does he really promise me and what's he looking for from me? And, right, it brings some clarity and sometimes you find that that clarity in the unanswered prayer is the answer itself. Thorn in the flesh is good. It brings clarity. Paul says that. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. God was using those three times and maybe more to bring clarity to Paul's understanding of his thorn in the flesh. Number two, praying about a thorn in the flesh repeatedly without an answer brings humility. So clarity, number two, write down humility. Paul even says it. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited. See, when, when you pray and then 
God answers you right away exactly the way that you want. And if he did that all the time, you would not pray with humility. Prayer would become a weapon of destruction for you. That's what would happen. If God gave you the answer to your prayer every single time, the way that you wanted, all of a sudden you would, you'd feel like God. You'd actually have God wrapped around your finger and you could tell him whatever you wanted to do. And, and believe me, you're a human being just like I am. You would abuse prayer. It would become a weapon of mass destruction in your hands that you would use for evil purposes if God gave you every answer just the way that you wanted it. Secondly, if God gave you every answer just the way you wanted it, you'd be spoiled like a spoiled little brat. Like a little child who gets every single thing that they want. Sorry kids, you shouldn't get every single thing that you want. Mom and dad have the right to tell you no. Uh, but if I get everything that I want from God, that, guy, that just makes God a spiritual vending machine. Right? I put in my prayer, I pull whatever lever I want, and out comes, I push the button, and out it comes. And then I'm more, then I'm more connected to the blessings than the blesser. And so the reason God doesn't answer my prayers sometimes or answer them the way they want is so that I have to be more focused on the blesser than the blessings. And so that I'm not spoiled. And so that I don't turn prayer into a weapon. So, clarity, humility. Uh, Paul writes, to keep me from becoming conceited. God keeps each of us from becoming conceited by not answering our prayers exactly the way we want and when we want. It's for our good. That's the good of a thorn that you pray about. Third and final good thing about praying about a thorn in the flesh repeatedly. It, it brings clarity, it brings humility, and it brings maturity. Maturity. See, by not answering your prayer when you want, the way that you want, God is preparing you for the answer. He is growing you and preparing your heart, preparing some circumstances, perhaps around you, perhaps orchestrating circumstances. But he's active, and he hears your prayer. But he's maturing you so that you're ready for the answer that he wants to give you, and, and it's probably bigger and better than the answer that you had hoped for. To give you that big, better answer, he's, he's got to help pre mature you to prepare you for that answer. So, unanswered prayers about things that bother us are thorns in the flesh. They bring clarity, humility, and maturity. God eventually tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. That It takes a mature believer to be able to say that, that I'm good with that. As long as I have God's grace, that's all that matters. That's all that I need. God needs to prepare our hearts to become mature to be able to answer to handle that answer. So, unanswered prayer. You know, it's, it's a little bit of a term that I have concern about. Do you have concern about that term unanswered prayer? I was hesitant to use it today because God always promises an answer to our prayers. So technically speaking, theologically speaking, according to God's word, there are no unanswered prayers. But we sometimes use that term to mean, I prayed for this, 
And God didn't give me the answer that I wanted. He, he said no. And no technically is an answer, but sometimes we, we term it like he, he didn't answer, like he didn't answer the way that I wanted. So that's where I think the title is a good one when we say no news is good news. Right? I just said how, how no news from God, not getting an answer the way that we want or when we want it, can be good in those three ways. But then God can say no to a prayer, and even that is good news. So you could take your pen and on that top of the insert where it says no news is good, good news, put quotes around the word no, meaning when God says no, that's still good news. And at some point, God does say no in your prayers. Let's say this. Let's say that there is a job opening to be an executive assistant in a successful company with a, 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 a VP in that company who has an excellent reputation. It's a sought-after position, this executive assistant. There's three Christians who apply for that position and go in for interviews. All three Christians are praying, God, please give me that position of executive assistant. One of them gets the position. The other two, what happened to their prayer? God said no. See, God answers our prayers differently according to what he knows is best for us. Uh, People who are sick, maybe with cancer. Uh, Three people who are sick with cancer. Same stage, same type of cancer. One of them goes into the doctor. The doctor says, wow, this is a a miracle. You're healed. You don't even need treatment. Another one goes test after test, treatment after treatment, and eventually goes into remission. And another one battles that cancer for four months and dies. All of them prayed for delivery from cancer, but God answered their prayers differently. So, and, and that no news is always good news. God does it for, for our good, for what's good for us that we may not know. So here's where I want us to be careful about this thorn in the flesh and this unanswered prayer stuff. I want us to be careful of, of becoming too self-important. Uh, honestly, becoming conceited. That's what Paul, as he analyzed this, that's what he realized was part of the battle in his life. And this is for you and for me too. We need to be careful of becoming too big in our own britches, too, right? too conceited, too self-important. Here's what happens when we become too self-important, especially in our prayer life. Number one, we, we lack clarity. And instead of clarity, forming my, my views, my beliefs, even my opinions, forming them in a clear way around God's clear word, if I'm self-important, clarity turns into, actually into doubt and into confusion. Because I am a human being and I'm limited in my understanding. I don't know everything. God does. I don't. And because I don't know everything, if I rely on myself for all the answers to everything and I'm a know-it-all, I'm actually someone who's filled with a lot of doubt. Maybe about me, maybe about others. And that doubt leads to confusion. 
And then I look for answers, and those answers become assumptions. So when I'm self-important, I'm dealing with a lot of assumptions about God and about other people, and those turn into judgments and anger, even against God. Don't be conceited. Don't be self-important because it it means you lack clarity. It also means you lack humility. If you're praying with self-importance and you're shaking your fist at God, you lack humility. And God says, I'll give grace to the humble, but I'll oppose the proud. You want to stand toe-to-toe with God and tell him what to do. He doesn't take kindly to it. There's only one God and you are not him, and he'll retain his throne. Finally, there's a lack of maturity. If I'm so self-important that I have to tell God he's doing it the wrong way, I have to tell him he needs to do things my way, I'm not, I'm not growing closer to God. I'm not growing up. I'm a spoiled little brat. So be careful of that self-importance when it comes to unanswered prayer. And instead, remember this. The thorns have a purpose. Thorn in the flesh. Thorns turn us to God. Do you know your Bible well enough to know the story in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve first sinned? The very first sin in existence when Adam and Eve sinned? And then the aftermath of that? So follow with me as we write through Genesis chapter 3 and Adam and Eve fell into sin and then God came into the garden and said, what's going on? And then they blamed each other and then finally God came and he had some words to say and instead of turning his anger onto Adam and Eve, he turned to the serpent and he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and he was really then talking not just to the serpent but really to the devil, to Satan himself. And then he promised the Savior, the seed of the woman, Genesis 3, verse 15. And then the the dust kind of settled, but before it was all said and done, God turned to Adam and Eve and finally had something to say to them. And you remember what he said to Adam and Eve? Do you remember what he told Adam? He said, "You're, you're still the caretaker of this earth. But now, Adam, now when you, when you pull the flowers or you harvest the wheat or when you go out to your garden to get veggies, there's going to be thorns and thistles and weeds. And now, Adam, you're going to sweat and a hard day's work is going to be hard and stressful and toilsome and there's going to be thorns at work, people who jab you Sharp disagreements. There's going to be thorns. Thorns, Adam. Thorns. And to Eve. Remember what God said to Eve? You, with pain you will now give birth to children. Ouch. Thorns. I thought God forgave Adam and Eve and he just announced a Savior and now he's telling them their, their life is going to be filled with pain? Why? To keep them close to God. For Adam to realize that Adam was was didn't have it all together, but 
but he needed God's help to, to harvest those crops, that, that there were frustrations that he couldn't solve, that, that he would need to come to God and stay close to him and rely on him, and that Eve would need to rely on God as she bore children in pain and realized the power of sin, but also the power of God's forgiveness. Those thorns God declared to bring people close to God. Have you ever resented your thorns? Have you ever questioned God that he doesn't want you close? He's trying to keep you through pain, trying to keep you far away. Then you need some different thorns to rescue you. And God in his love gave those thorns. He didn't give them to you, though. He gave them to his own son. The sharpest, fiercest, deadliest thorns in the history of this world never belong to you and will never belong to you or anyone. They belong to Jesus. When those Roman soldiers crafted thorns into a crown and put those on, the head of your Savior, and you could hear his, his flesh and his skull, his scalp, pop as the thorns burst his skin and blood spurted out and then trickled down his face throughout his trials, throughout his beatings, throughout his suffering and death on the cross. Thorns. And they were from his Father, and he didn't flee. And he didn't question. And he loved the thorns. He loved them because they became the thorns for you. Thorns that he took for the times when you've run from yours. Thorns that he took for the times when, when you wanted an easy life, and an easy life meant you, you couldn't fully obey God the way that you know he wanted you to. Jesus took the, the fiercest, deadliest thorns that there will ever be so that you would never have to. And his pain and his death and his blood covered it all for you, for the times that you fled from thorns, for the times you questioned thorns, for, for the times you felt you didn't have enough strength, but God knew that you did, for the times that you doubted God, for the times that you became full of pride and, and immaturity. Those are gone. And you can now handle the thorns because of those of Jesus. Even thorns of discipline like Adam and Eve. God sends them into your life so that they bring you closer to him. So the thorns are good for us. Um, the thorns and an unanswered prayer when we ask God for help can even be good for others. I want to read the next part. This is a big portion of these verses, but uh, I want to focus on these verses now as we think about thorns not just helping us but helping others. So this is just a repeat of what Paul writes in verses 8 through 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, his thorn. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Well, Paul says, therefore, if, if that's true, and it is, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why 
For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul prayed to God. He said, God, this thorn in the flesh, this hurts and it's getting in the way. God, take it away and I'll be better. I'll be a better pastor. I'll be be a better friend and better person. God, if you just take it away, I'll be better. And God said, if I don't take it away, Paul, I will be better. And God didn't take it away so that God would be better, so that God would be more full in Paul's life, so that God would reflect more as Paul was seeking to do, deflect the attention off of himself. God was now helping him with that effort. And God likes to choose the thorns. God likes to choose the weak. God likes to choose your weakness as a channel for his power. Can you bring to mind right now a, uh, a circumstance or a story in the Bible where God chooses someone or something weak and works through them or that circumstance so that God is glorified and seen as strong? There's plenty of them. Are you maybe thinking of God choosing Abraham and Sarah to be the couple on whom he founds his his chosen nation and he chooses them because they can't have children? Only when he enters the scene can they they have children. Are you thinking maybe of of Moses who said, Lord, I I can't speak very well. I, I, can't, I can't represent you before the powerful Pharaoh of Egypt. Lord, I can't do it. Send someone else. And God chose him anyway. And in the end, through all the plagues and the rescue of Egypt, it wasn't Moses who was glorified. It was God. Because he chose Moses as this weak leader and made him strong in the process. How about, how about little shepherd boy David, right? If you were to choose someone to conquer Goliath, this foul-mouthed, heathen, pagan, mocking God, if you were to choose someone to conquer Goliath, if you and I to choose someone, we would have chosen King Saul, head and shoulders above the other soldiers, his own armor, a proven, valiant warrior. God chose weak, little, shepherd, boy, and did his work through him. Jesus choosing his disciples? Did he choose the most intelligent, the greatest Bible scholars that he could find? He chose fishermen from Galilee and a tax collector. God loves to choose the weak. So don't be so quick to want to flee the weak, the thorn, the pain, the emptiness in your life. Don't be so quick to judge it as bad because God loves it and wants to work through it as good. 
So we want to be careful of, uh, of avoiding weakness and, and making ourselves strong. When we choose to be strong, and when we say that we are strong and we're self-reliant and it's all about us, and when we m- seek to make ourselves self-sufficient and independent, we are robbing God of opportunities to let his power shine through us. God wants his power to shine through our weakness. It said uh, that if you want to impress people, tell them your successes. If you want to influence people, tell them your failures. If you want people, if you want to make a change and make a difference in people's lives and not just have them say, wow, you're awesome. But you actually want to lead them and influence them and bring them from one place to a better place. Let them see your weakness. Let them know your failures. Because in that process, you are telling them how God is your strength and how God works through you. And then they will glorify, not you, but they will glorify God. And that will make the biggest difference in their life and in their eternity. So, God's power, Paul says, is made perfect in my weakness. Made perfect, that's like giving it a 10. Right? So God has his power, he has his glory, he wants to shine in the lives of people, and all these people around you, his power and his glory in their lives is a 3. And God says, hey, can, with your thorn, with your weakness, if you just let me shine through that, that, that power and that glory in that person's life and yours too is going to be, go from a 3 to a 10. That's God's power made perfect in your weakness. Can you trust Him to do that? Think of that unanswered prayer I asked you to put in the parking space earlier. Can you give that unanswered prayer to God in a way that gives him permission for his, for his perfection, for him being perfect to be a 10 in your life, even though it causes you just a little pain or inconvenience? If you can, then you're saying, God, I trust you. It's all about you. It's not about me. I want to deflect the attention from me onto you, God, so that you make a real difference in my life and in the lives of others. Your weakness helps others see God's power. Don't be so quick to flee it. Don't be so quick to fix it. Don't be so quick to fight against it. Just give it to God in prayer. Again, and again, and again. And trust Him like Paul, that His grace is sufficient for you, that Jesus' thorns cover your thorns, and that he'll use that to become perfect in his grace and in his power in your life and in the lives of others. And that's going to be, you're going to be like a flashlight. I forgot to bring a flashlight today. I'm going to use the flashlight on my phone. So, uh, see, there's, see the flashlight here? Watch, watch how it lights up the back of the stage. Ready? Wait a minute. Bam! 
It worked during practice. You know why it worked during practice? Because all these lights were off. And then it lit up that wall. Well, with the lights on, you can't see the flashlight. So sometimes, God turns the lights off all around you, and he lets it be dark all around you so that the light can really shine, and only then will you see him and others too. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the light of the world. You are the light that no darkness can overcome. Help me to trust in you and to appreciate you even more when I experience darkness in my world, when the thorns seem to have their way with me, and when pain and frustration and difficulty speak so loudly that it seems like you're not there and you're not paying attention. When I bring you my prayers and you don't have an immediate answer, you don't answer my way, give me patience, Lord, to trust in you. Patience like you had when you were suffering with your thorns, knowing your Father was there. Bless me, Lord, with greater strength, with your power in my weakness. Not so that I just grow so big and noticeable, but so that you become more noticeable to me and through me to others. Thank you for your words today, for the lesson from the Apostle Paul and King Josiah. May these powerful truths be also true in my life today, this week, and forever. Amen.